are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. We call some of those folks sommeliers, wine aficionados, wine experts, wine gurus, and the most commonly used title, boring. Welcome to Grape Encounters. We love wine just as much as anyone else, but while we crave those special wines that are silky smooth and go down so easy, we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. There is one overriding premise here at Grape Encounters. Wine pairs best with life. Accordingly, your host David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time, how to have more fun with your wine, where to enjoy wine the most, how to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. All right, I gotta admit it, I have been penned up for the past couple of months. I have not been on the road at all, not at all. And that's largely because it's been raining like crazy in California. But we're changing that all today because we're at a renowned restaurant called Mulvaney's in Sacramento, which is really one of the great farm-to-table communities in America for the launch of a cookbook by a renowned cookbook author named Janet Fletcher. And it's the Wine Country Table And it's being done in collaboration with the Wine Institute, which is one of the really powerful and important advocacy groups for California wine. There's somebody who has always been one of my favorite guests for the past 10 years, and she is the executive director of the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance, and it is Allison Jordan. God, I love having you on the show. We always have so much fun. We do. Thank you so much for having me today. By the way, Allison is also the vice president of environmental affairs for the Wine Institute as well. But your big thing is sustainability. You know, Allison, the other day, somebody asked me a question about organic wine. And we got into the topic of sustainability as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, I just have seen this um, embracing of environmental practices, sustainability practices throughout the industry. So not only wines made with organically grown grapes, but also sustainably grown and made wines. But would you agree that we weren't that good at it just maybe 10 years ago? I mean, certainly not as good as we are today. I have seen that um, the industry has been using some of these practices over time, but some of it's an education about what does sustainable wine growing mean. And it's such a comprehensive concept that sometimes it's difficult to explain in a few sound bites. but it really is about protecting the environment, being a good employer and community steward as well, as well as having those vibrant businesses that we can pass on to future generations. So it's such a big topic and such a broad, comprehensive set of practices that it makes it challenging to communicate. Now, people hear the term sustainable, 
And I don't think that that term necessarily is well understood just yet. And that's really your job to make that so, but also to bring more wineries into that fold. And then there's the term organic, which is a a very misused term and means different things to different people. Sort it out just briefly for us. Sure. Okay. Well, organic is actually ruled or governed by the National Organic Program from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And so you actually have to be organically certified to be able to use that term. There's made with organically grown grapes, which is the most common thing you see in the grocery stores or places where you purchase wine. But there is such a thing as organic wine. That means it's made with organically grown grapes as well as not adding sulfites, which can help preserve the shelf life of wines. And that's where I think sometimes you can get into those quality issues that you were talking about earlier. Sustainable has some overlap, things like soil management and pest management. Those are the two areas where there's a really strong association with organic, biodynamic, and sustainable. But sustainable is that broader set of concepts like I was talking about. It's also about not only soil management and pest management, but also air and water quality, energy and water use efficiency, solid waste management, how you treat your employees, your relationships with your neighbors and community. So there's so much more to it. I think that's why it's been so broadly embraced in California. We need to care about water conservation. We do care about greenhouse gas emissions and energy use efficiency, those types of things. And of course, people are what the wine industry is all about. We wouldn't have these fabulous wines if it weren't for those who work in the vineyards and who work in the cellars and who help sell the wine. So employees really do matter. And California wine is a really significant contributor to America's economic engine and also our reputation around the world and our reputation you know, in America. The point of pride for California and, and something that's really struck me the last couple of days I've been kind of roaming through wine countries and what's really nice about the wine industry is that you don't see it marring the landscape. You don't see massive buildings and warehouses everywhere. That's not to say that there aren't wineries, but generally speaking, those are actually beautiful buildings and the wine industry almost more than any other industry that I can think of really tries to harmonize with nature and be a good steward to nature, but also sort of contribute to the beauty and contribute to the environment as opposed to taking away from it. Maybe you can even think about the incredible generosity of the industry with its philanthropy, but also contributing to the culture and the quality of life in the communities. And it makes sense. You think of this as being very much a family-owned industry still. And so they are thinking generationally. They also live on or near their properties. So they really care about the environment, the quality of life, all those things that we all get to enjoy as part of it. Now, some would say, though, that there are a lot of really large corporations that are coming in and they're buying up smaller entities, not necessarily small. My experience at least has been that when a big corporation like let's say Gallo or Kendall Jackson comes in and they buy an existing entity, they're pretty good about letting them continue to do their thing. What made those wineries great to begin with, when an organization like let's say Kendall Jackson or Gallo or Mondavi get involved, does the amount of resources that they have actually make it even easier for them to support sustainability? It's such an interesting question. I think sometimes you hear this pitting small against large. In my experience, 
you have to remember Gallo and Jackson Family Wines are still family-owned family wineries, and yeah. they're purchasing wineries that have value. And sometimes those wineries want to be purchased because they don't have another generation to pass it on to, or they want to retire. So you can't begrudge people from wanting to promote their business in different ways. And yes, I think that they not only value what those wineries bring to their portfolio, but also they're incredibly committed to sustainability, and they have the staff and the resources to help the entire industry. So they share information, right, they right. share their research. They're very much a part of the development of our code of sustainable wine growing and our certification and ways that um, we can share the wealth of information and within lot, the industry. And a lot of R&D where that's concerned as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's talk about the cookbook and this event today. So we're at a renowned restaurant in Sacramento. Yes. It's actually called Mulvaney's B&L. And I did at one point know what B&L stands for. But it's, it's Mulvaney's oh. B&L, which is business and loan. Oh, yes, that's right. That I thought it meant beets and lettuce. But. I know, at a restaurant you would think. <laughs> exactly. But this uh, book by Janet Fletcher, who's written, I think, like 30 cookbooks, has won three James Beard Awards, is really cool because it highlights a lot of California wineries and then it highlights foods that are grown in those particular regions. And then it talks about, like, say, with certain vegetables, the best ways to prepare them and use them, and then come the recipes. How did the Wine Institute end up getting involved with Janet on this project? Well, we're so excited about the book, and you've done such a great job of capturing all that's in it. I love that it has so much in it for different people in different times. Um, those tips are just incredible. The recipes are scrumptious. But really, this was a culinary tour of California. Nancy Light, my colleague at Wine Institute, right. and I have had the chance to travel to the breathtaking regions of California where both food and wine is grown. And we thought this was a great way to try to share what we know about the growers, the farmers, the vintners. They are passionate. They're energized, they are innovative, and they're also socially and environmentally responsible. So this is really our way of highlighting the fantastic California-grown food and wine and really sharing it with people all over the world so they get to experience this California approach where it's not just about the flavors, which, of course, are very important, but it's also about how food and wine is grown and made. And by the way, if you're listening in some other state, don't go... Uh, California. No, you know what? We know a lot about food here. We do. And by the way, we send you a lot of food. We grow some awfully nice food here. And I don't know how much we supply for the entire U.S., but it's a huge percentage of it. We're such an amazing specialty crop. We call them specialty crops. So it's all of your fruits and vegetables and nuts and, of course, wine. And yes, you can enjoy the recipes with the food that you have in your state. And then California wine is distributed all over. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We're talking to Allison Jordan, Executive Director of the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance. And we're going to very soon get to sit down and have lunch. And we'll be eating some of the foods that are in this book, right? That's right. I'm totally excited. The book is Wine Country Table, a collaboration between Janet Fletcher and the Wine Institute. And Allison, hang with me. And we'll come back in just a second. Do you ever wonder what goes on in the Grape Encounter studio while you're listening to the commercial break? Research. Yeah, that's what we do. Research. You can never do too much research. It seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. 
That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the Santa Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school, and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets, and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. You can buy their wines online, which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the Internet. Go to peakranch.com. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio. Since we aren't a TV show, we'd love for you to see and learn more about our incredible wine country town. Check out visitatascadero.com. Once you see how good we've got it, maybe you'll plan a trip to see us in person. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and it's going to be a great eating day for me. I'm excited that in just a little bit I get to sit down to a table and enjoy some foods that were prepared by Chef Patrick Mulvaney. He, by the way, is one of the most renowned farm-to-table chefs in the country, if not the world. Sacramento is a hotbed for its farm-to-table, but some people are saying farm-to-fork now. You can call it what you wish. But anyway, the recipes will come from the wine country table, and we'll also be talking to Janet Fletcher in a minute, but right now talking to one of my top 10 favorite guests of wow. all time. Thanks. Well, yes, because you're always just so, you're just the happiest person I've ever seen. I just learned, by the way, that you're a singer and a songwriter, which explains why you're gripping the microphone the way you are. You know, <laughs> I can feel it, right? Anyway, it's Allison Jordan from the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance. And April is Down to Earth Month in California. That is right. We are in our eighth year of celebrating April as Down to Earth Month. And it's a great way to get out and see the 
sustainable practices that we've been talking about. You can do things like horseback riding through vineyards. You can do hikes through vineyards. You can have a dinner that's produced with sustainable wine and and sustainable foods. So it's just a really great way to have that tangible, what does sustainable wine growing mean? Great. Okay, let's get into some of the events because we don't have a ton of time here. So tell me what's going on. Great. Well, actually, a couple of the events are taking place at wineries that are featured in the Wine Country Table book. So one of them is in Lake County, which is just north of Napa. Sometimes people don't make that hike up and over, but it is absolutely gorgeous. And um, Six Sigma is having a Pinsgauer vineyard tour. It's an old Austrian military vehicle, fits up to 10 people, and they have this high elevation vineyard, and you can basically take your friends or family and enjoy an incredible meal and also this tour up into the high elevation By, by the way, a little tidbit about Six Sigma. They now invite folks in RVs to come and park on the property. That's right. And, and you can make arrangements to go and actually stay the night on this beautiful property at Six Sigma. So if you're, and by the way, RVing is a great way to, to get out and enjoy down to earth month in California. You know, that way you, you know, you just go and you, you don't have to, you know, unload your bags and take them into a hotel and take them back out again and pack and unpack. I did that last year at the end of the year. It was so much fun. And that's how I'm doing most of my wine country touring from now on. Uh, sorry, Excellent. just had to interject that. That's great. Um, another one that I'll just mention briefly is at Con Canyon Vineyard Estate. And this one's really interesting. It's in Livermore Valley, and it's the science of wine and food pairing. So we've been talking about wine and food, and they get into the geeky side of it and talk about the science behind it. So you can join the sommelier there and learn about the balance between the taste of wine and the ingredients of the dish that you're experiencing and all the complex science and fundamentals behind pairing wine. You know, you mentioned Livermore Valley, and and I was just out in Saratoga. There are places like Livermore Valley and Saratoga that are so close to the metropolis, but yet you get a little ways off the beaten path, and you would swear you're in... You are in the middle of nowhere, actually. You would never even imagine that there's so much going on, like just, you know, 15 miles away. It is so serene and so beautiful, one of the really great places to go visit. Yes, that's something we're so fortunate to have here in California. Well, we always just say Napa and Sonoma and, you know, maybe Paso Robles, but we forget a lot of these other places you mentioned, Lake County, and just so beautiful up there. So go to some of the lesser-known places when you get a chance. Yeah. Well, and actually, speaking of Napa, there are things like the Oxbow Commons is having a Earth Day Napa Festival on April 28th. That's right in downtown Napa, right? That's right. Okay. And um, there's also Benziger Family Winery, which always does great eco-tours on this little tram that takes you around and you can learn right. about their biodynamic and sustainable practices. But they're doing an Earth Day hike and, and wine tasting um, in Sonoma Valley. So that would be amazing to experience. There's things like the annual Passport to Dry Creek Valley, April 27th and 28th. Um, even Mendocino County has something called the Taste of Mendocino. So just great experiences. You can find them all at discovercaliforniawines.com. My, br- my, my, bro- my, brother, my brother lives in Ukiah, and he volunteers every year for the oh. Taste of Mendocino. Isn't that nice? Yes, that's wonderful. You, have you been? I haven't been. You need and to he, make the trip. And he keeps telling me i got to come up there. But I, I go up there for wine song. Oh, yes. So anyway, we, that's we're, the one I we're, need to we're check actually out. a sponsor of Wine Song. So. Wonderful. Anyway, okay. Anything else you want to highlight? I mean, there's a zillion of there's them, right? There's a zillion. So just go so to discovercaliforniawines.com and find out about things happening in Temecula and in San Diego and all over the state. And just discovercaliforniawines.com. Yes. And I'm going to say something you may not like, Allison. 
Are you ready? I guess. When you go out and do this, try to make it not all about the wine. Mm -hmm. You know, so often we get so wrapped up in the wine. And wine is really there to help complement our life, to help us enjoy all the experiences that are so compatible with wine appreciation. Mm -hmm. So don't make it all about the wine. You know, the wine is there to enhance your experience. It doesn't always want to be the central focus. Do you think that's fair? To, are you mad at me? Not at that? all. And actually, I think there's been studies that have shown things like your company, who you're with, and the music you're listening to, and exactly. all of those things can really augment and enhance wine it, it, and exactly. your memory of it. And so I agree fully that it should be enjoyed altogether. I've shared this quote many times on the show over the years, and I think it's, it speaks volumes. And it's this, that wine should be a social lubricant that stimulates conversation about everything except the wine. We get hung up in wine geek speak, and that's nice. If you want to dive deep, good for you. You know, there's so many people in wine country that can teach you more than you'll ever need to know. But the experiences that have been growing, mushrooming in all of the California wine countries are just beyond belief. You know, whether it's zip lining or rappelling down into a cave, you know, near Murphy's or horseback riding in Saratoga, ballooning. There's so many things that complement the wine experience. And that's what we want you to discover. Absolutely. And I actually think you'll get that sense from the Wine Country Table Book because you'll also see the culinary side of wine country. Um, just the amazing specialty crops, again, fruit, vegetables, nuts that are grown alongside wine and just all of the amazing events and ways that people enjoy around a table a really social experience what she's saying is go eat yourself silly do it i know just here in, in just driving from my airbnb which is two and a half miles away to where we're at right now i passed so many restaurants that i thought oh my gosh i would love to eat there Anyway, Allison, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for being on as usual. We're going to get the author in here in just a second. And again, the website is... DiscoverCaliforniaWines.com And again, the website is DiscoverCaliforniaWines.com, right? I got it? Correct, yes. Okay. Allison Jordan, you're always a champ. Thank I really you so appreciate much. it. Okay, we'll, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. David will be back with more Grape Encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. Ten years ago, I created Grape Encounters Radio while living in breathtaking Lake Arrowhead. Perched about an hour above the Southern California metropolis in the majestic San Bernardino National Forest. Lake Arrowhead is a place where wine lifestyle flourishes, imaginations run wild, and people come from around the world to discover a more peaceful and re-energizing way of life. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Lynn B. Wilson, a bona fide leader in resort real estate sales. From charming alpine cottages to stunning estates on the shores of shimmering Lake Arrowhead, Lynn B. Wilson & Associates have been changing lives for decades. If you truly want to live on top of the world, Lynn B. Wilson & Associates can show you how. They'll even host you in luxury accommodations while you explore the limitless possibilities. 
log on to lynnbwilson.com. That's lynnbwilson.com. Live the life you imagine. The central coast of California is world-renowned for exceptional wines, but it's also one of the most vibrant and alluring travel destinations in America because the wide range of things to see and do here is absolutely astonishing. From stunning beaches to breathtaking hiking trails to world-class dining, artisan craftswork, and so much more, California's central coast is addictive. For those visiting this magical region, there's no better place to call home base than the city of Atascadero. Atascadero is perfectly centered in the middle of everything you'll want to see and do while you're here. A true slice of Americana. The locals here are eager to welcome you, and the accommodations are plentiful, comfortable, and affordable. Atascadero is a 365 days a year destination with mild winter weather and mostly sunny days, even when the rest of the country is bundled up. For more information about the warm and welcoming town of Atascadero, log on to visitatascadero.com. Discover the California Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we believe there's no way to fake a great wine and where we never fake our disdain for the really bad ones. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and now the star of the day has joined me in my makeshift studio, which is, by the way, anything but makeshift. We're at Mulvaney's, and we're in the wine room. <laughs> it's so cool. Janet Fletcher is here. She is the author of The Wine Country Table. And you know what? You can't call it a cookbook. There's plenty of recipes in there, but there's so much more. There are things that I'm going to tell you that I just love about this book. But we're in the wine room here, and Janet, corkscrew on you? This is the coolest radio studio I have ever been in. I don't want to leave. I see so many bottles that I just am dying to open, but we'll behave ourselves. See a few things. Let's behave. Do we have to? We're going to have lunch in just a bit, prepared by Chef Mulvaney. We can party then, right? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to sharing a great meal and some wine. And by the way, I'm looking at the menu for the luncheon. We'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, let's talk about you for a second. 30 cookbooks? Am I right? Uh, I have Close to. I, I honestly have to go count, but I'm pretty sure it's 30. A lot of them were collaborations. I've done a lot of collaborations with chefs and, you know, other people who had a cookbook in them that they needed to get out and needed some help. Dr. Dean Ornish, the famous, you know, heart doctor. So I've collaborated with a lot of people over the years and then quite a few that are just my own. And three James Beard Awards. Yes, uh, for journalism. I was a longtime food writer with the San Francisco Chronicle, and so those awards are for journalism, newspaper journalism. Well, that is absolutely awesome. So let's talk about this book for a second. First of all, the idea of collaborating with the Wine Institute, which is just such a stellar organization that does so much for, you know, I'm going to say does so much for America, honestly, because wine is such a point of pride for California. And it's such an important part of the California economic engine, which is an important part of America's economic engine. And it's one of the things that we can point to that we do here in California extraordinarily well and maybe better than anybody on the planet. At least that's my opinion. Humble opinion as a native Californian. So how did this come to pass first? Well, as you probably know, the Wine Institute has been really instrumental in the last few years in promoting sustainability and showcasing the wineries and the grape growers that are leaders in sustainability, uh, responsible farming, environmentally friendly farming. 
and uh, they have a certification program now. And so the idea of the book was to showcase some of these role models and also to link in the farms, the great uh, specialty crops that California grows from north to south. Grapes, after all, are a specialty crop, just like avocados, asparagus, walnuts, all these things that California grows for the nation and the world. So I think of this book as kind of a, a foodie road trip. Yeah. I, that, you know, it starts in the north and it go, I go all the way down to um, the southern border and I visited vintners and farmers from north to south who are all in their way, in their operations, leaders in sustainable practices. And I think what's so beautiful about the book is that, it, it first of all, it makes a, a very important point to not just wine lovers, but foodies and, you know, anybody that consumes anything. It ain't just about the grape. When you go to any place in the world where you enjoy the local cuisine, the, you know, so much of the wines they're made there are driven by what they can grow there, what grapes they can grow there, what foods they make there. And over, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years in some cases, this relationship between food and wine has grown. It's not simply a case of, oh gosh, let's just take this wine and pair it with this food. Some of it was a, an evolutionary process. And I think you do a great job of, you know, first of all, taking us to a region, showing us some of the heritage wineries there, and then telling us about the crops that are grown in that area. And, and then the best part of, of the book, I think, is how do you tackle a fava bean? How should you approach this? What, what, what would you use it for? How would you weave it into your own recipe? And then the recipes, of course. Yeah, I hope people will think of the book not just as a cookbook, but as a reference book. Yes. Something that you return to again and again for, for information about how to shop for fruits and vegetables, how to select, how to recognize quality, how to select them and store them. A lot of my information came from, come from the farmers. I mean, who knows better than a farmer how to recognize when a fava bean is really fresh? Yeah, what would know? So, yeah. So I, you know, I covered a lot of the familiar crops, almonds, uh, avocados, uh, asparagus, but also some of the less familiar ones like broccoli rob. That's a personal favorite yeah. that I wanted to get into the book. Some of the Asian herbs that are up and coming in this country to give people a, a sense of how to use them. In fact, the recipe I would say I'm the most proud of in this book is the pho, the Vietnamese chicken soup really? with Asian herbs, because I've been eating pho in restaurants for 35 years, and I've always been afraid to try it, that I won't be able most to, to are try making Most people are afraid to say it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. pho, yeah. Um, at, spelled P-H-O. And I've always been afraid I wouldn't succeed if I tried to make it at home. But I... I kind of persisted with it in my home kitchen. And I have come up with, I think, a really delicious chicken pho that uses lemongrass and uh, a lot of the Asian herbs that are turning up in farmer's markets and, and grocery stores. What do you do if you, you know, you look at a, uh, an ingredient that's in one of your recipes? I'm just, you know, thinking about a consumer who, you know, may purchase this book online and they're in some other state and they see an ingredient and they go, I've never even heard of that. What then? Well, I don't think anything in the book is that obscure. But, okay. uh, and the thing about California produce is it goes everywhere. Uh, we supply like 90 or 95% of some of these crops, uh, to the nation. So even if you're in New Jersey, you, uh, can get California radicchio and it's going to probably get there in pretty good, good shape. So I don't think there's anything in the book that is just not going to be available to people who search for it. Uh, you may have to go to a not a supermarket. You may have to go to a you know a produce store, a produce specialty store. Yeah. You may have to ask for it. 
But uh, mostly, most of the crops most I of it, it is available. Are, 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 yeah, they're available. We're talking to Janet Fletcher. She's the author of Wine Country Table. We're at the book launch, and it's at Mulvaney's B and L. By the way, I thought it meant beets and lettuce. <laughs> it actually means building and loan. And Chef Patrick Mulvaney is is really, really. Uh, you just have to Google him because. The, the guy is really at the forefront and has been at the forefront of the, and a, and a real thought leader in the farm to fork, which is a Janet farm to fork or farm to table. I don't know. We hear it both ways, right? But that movement. Yeah. Sacramento has kind of co-opted farm to fork. They're very big on that. In fact, I wrote about in the book an event that they have every year. I think it's called the farm to fork dinner. They do it on the, the big bridge here and that crosses the Sacramento River. They shut down the bridge. They set tables all along the length of the bridge. All the local chefs cook for it. And it is a, you know, it's a, a charity event. And the tickets, initially they sold out in a few minutes. And I think now they, they have to do it by auction because they're just so many raffle. There's so many people who want tickets to this thing. I'm real excited about lunch today because I, I know that Chef Patrick is making one of my favorite recipes in the book, which is a, a tostada. With Dungeness crab. With Dungeness crab and avocado. Now, you love avocado toast, right? Everybody loves avocado toast, and and that's just kind of the hottest um, trend on the planet. But I thought, what if you could modify an avocado toast to reflect California's cultural diversity and make that avocado toast instead of with bread with a tostada? So that's what I did in the book. Um, Makes sense. It's uh, it's a tostada with um, guacamole on top, crab, a little bit of shredded romaine, some of that Mexican. sour cream called crema yeah cilantro and it's just a beautiful uh, lunch dish or if you make it on the little mini tostadas it's a great past hors d'oeuvre terrific with sauvignon blanc and i noticed in the book that you differentiate or share your preference between bacon and haas avocados well, Haas avocados have just totally taken over the yeah. industry. They are, I don't, something like 98% of what California grows now. And have you ever heard the story of the Haas avocado? It's it's in the book. Mr. Haas was a mailman in Pasadena. Oh, I think and, I might have. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, tell me, well, though. I'm I don't remember. remember every detail. But he was struggling to feed his family and started growing avocado trees as a possible sideline. And he would just, you know, plant the seeds. And one tree that came up from seed was not very promising and he was going to rip it out but somebody persuaded him to keep it and in the ground a consultant and he did and the fruit off that tree just blew everybody away and that it was named for him the Haas avocado and it has been so superior it was all all bumpy and wrinkly and yeah ugly ugly but it has a higher oil content and it has just driven every other avocado out of business pretty much do you ever make avocado smoothies uh, I make a soup. I call it a soup, not a smoothie, because because it's not sweet. But I'll put it oh, in a um, so blender good, with buttermilk and some garlic and cilantro. So I make a, a like a thick cold soup out of it. Oh, sounds good. Uh, listen, we're going to take a quick break, Janet. Uh, we're talking to Janet Fletcher. She's the author of Wine Country Table, thirty books under her belt, either individually or uh, as collaborations. This is a collaboration with the Wine Institute, one of my favorite organizations on the planet when it comes to wine, and uh, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. But we got to hurry through this because lunch is going to be on the table any minute. 
Sometimes drinking wine makes you just want to curl up in a comfy chair and dream about puppy dogs, faraway places, and other happy thoughts. Or you can just enjoy that cuvee in your glass and lose yourself in the conversation on Grape Encounters Radio. Seems like a day doesn't go by that someone doesn't tell me how lucky I am to be able to taste the multitude of wines that I get to try as part of my job. And while that certainly is true, what is also true is that a great number of wines that I do taste just don't cut it. That's why it gives me so much pleasure to tell you about the wines from Peak Ranch, made in the San Ynez Valley on the central coast of California. As exciting as these wines are, I'm especially proud of the fact that they're produced by my oldest friend of all time, John Wagner, along with his charming wife, Jill. John was always the smartest kid in school, and I was always just a tad bit jealous of his determination to be the best. So when I found out that he was the producer of these utterly fantastic wines, I wasn't the least bit surprised. From their remarkably elegant Pinots to their perfectly balanced Chardonnay and luscious Syrahs, it's no surprise that the wines produced at Peak Ranch are simply as good as it gets, and they have the scores to prove it. Log on to peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. You can buy their wines online, which means it'll be the best time you ever spend on the Internet. Go to peakranch.com. The Central Coast of California is world-renowned for exceptional wines, but it's also one of the most vibrant and alluring travel destinations in America because the wide range of things to see and do here is absolutely astonishing. From stunning beaches to breathtaking hiking trails to world-class dining, artisan craftswork, and so much more, California's Central Coast is addictive. For those visiting this magical region, there's no better place to call home base than the city of Atascadero. Atascadero is perfectly centered in the middle of everything you'll want to see and do while you're here. A true slice of Americana. The locals here are eager to welcome you, and the accommodations are plentiful, comfortable, and affordable. Atascadero is a 365 days a year destination with mild winter weather and mostly sunny days, even when the rest of the country is bundled up. For more information about the warm and welcoming town of Atascadero, log on to visitatascadero.com. Discover the California Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. People often ask, why hasn't someone tarred and feathered Grape Encounters host David Wilson for breaking so many of the old rules? Simple. No one likes the old rules. Boy, this is kind of like a dream come true to be sitting in a wine room across the table from a renowned food and wine writer, author of 30 cookbooks, three times James Beard Award winner. Now we're talking about the wine country table. I want to ask you a few things that aren't in the book that have been on my mind a lot lately. Why is it that 90% of what is served, in, in my opinion, in restaurants is really not that great? And yet there are these wonderful chefs all over the world that are making delicious things. It seems to me that it's not that hard to get it right. What are we doing wrong? Why aren't we getting infusing more flavor into our meals, both when we go out to eat and at home? Well, as somebody who spent a few years in restaurants early in her career, <laughs> I can tell you that it's a lot different to make a dinner for four 
more in your home than it is to serve you know, 100 people over four hours in a restaurant. A lot of stuff has to be made ahead so that you can assemble the dish quickly. But actually, I think restaurants who keep it simple are the ones that please me more than that the ones was my that next, try to... That was my next question. Yeah. That I, was my next question because remember the movie Amadeus and the king of Austria says to Mozart, too many notes, too many notes. And I sometimes think simplicity can be very beautiful if you let the food speak. I think some of us are ingredient driven and some of us are technique driven. And I would always put myself in the ingredient driven camp, especially when you're working with such beautiful fruits and vegetables that we have here in California. I don't want to mess them up. I really do want to treat them simply and highlight them. So there are meat recipes in the book where the vegetables are a little bit in a supporting role. But I just always do ask myself, can I scale it back? Can I simplify it and still keep it flavorful? You know, I love the taste of just a beautiful steamed cauliflower with some extra virgin olive oil on it and good salt and pepper and a little sprinkling of herb. Fruits and vegetables have terrific flavors of their own. When you get them fresh, they still have kind of their field moisture in them, their natural sweetness. It's a crime to over-manipulate them. Yeah. I was looking for a chicken recipe not long ago, and on Google, there was a headline that said, the best chicken you've ever tasted, and the only ingredients were chicken, salt, and pepper. And in truth, you buy a great piece of meat and you keep the seasoning to a minimum, it's just really spectacular what you can do. Mm -hmm. But there's some technique definitely involved there. Yeah, and some purchasing. You've got to purchase good ingredients yeah, exactly. uh, to begin with. So next question, what do you say to the person who is working really long hours, has very little free time, yet they want to put great foods like you have in the cookbook on the table? What's your advice for them? Well, I don't mean to be um, flippant, but g- get some good knife skills. Take a knife skills class because once you, Interesting. Get, once you know how to keep your knife sharp and slice and dice fast, you can put dinner on the table quickly. Keep it simple. You don't have to make a recipe restaurant quality meal for dinner. A lot of the recipes in the book are, you know, 15, 20 minute dishes. And you add some steamed rice or a baked potato or a great flatbread you got from the store and you've made it into a dinner. So I think sometimes people are a little too ambitious about what they're trying to put on the table for a family meal. It can be just some beautiful asparagus roasted in the oven and add some wild rice or a sweet potato. And I have very simple tastes. And the other thing, David, is a priority. You know, is it a priority for you to sit down at the table with your family or even by yourself and have a a from scratch meal, or is it not? I do think it's sad. Uh, there are so many places, and I'm not criticizing their food, but let's take a Trader Joe's, for example, where they make these pre-prepared meals, and they've made it so easy for somebody to say, well, you know, I had this chili relleno that tasted pretty darn good restaurant quality from Trader Joe's, but I do think that people seem to be coming back to the kitchen now. Is that your sense? Well, I'll just say that for me, the highlight of my day is that um, 45 minutes to an hour that I spend cooking dinner. Uh, usually my husband's there. We're having a glass of wine. We're talking through the day and we sit down and have a, a slow dinner. And that is to me, I think, what's kept our marriage together for 35 years. And it is just a, a lifestyle choice that we've made. I know for other people, it's more important to take the kids to the soccer game or watch a TV show. And so then, yeah, convenience foods are convenient. I'm a believer in starting fresh, keeping it simple, and it doesn't take long to make a healthy and beautiful dinner. And, and I think it's maybe one of the most therapeutic things that you can possibly do because you're creating something that you're actually going to put inside your body, which is kind of cool when you think about it. We only have a minute or two 
left. What's your hope with the book? First of all, I, I didn't really ask you how you came to put this particular format together because it's very unique. And you said it is, you know, a roadmap. And I think that really is the case. What did you feel might have been lacking in, let's say, other cookbooks or even things that you had written that you wanted to overcome with this book? Well, I think this is a great overview of California agriculture, both uh, grape growing and winemaking and uh, fruit and vegetable production. So I think it gives people a great sense of where their food comes from, because most of it does come from California. Yeah. And how innovative and inspiring these farmers are who are growing our foods and making our wines. Okay, last question. The American way seems to be to say, I'm going to have lasagna tonight, or I'm going to have fried chicken tonight, or whatever it is that you, you eat. And then to grab a recipe and go to the store and go find the ingredients. If you go to Europe or you go to Asia, the way they approach dinner is going to be completely the opposite in many cases or most cases even. You go to the market, you see what's fresh, you see what's beautiful, and that's the starting spot. Would you encourage people to do that as well? Sure. You have to be a little bit of a comfortable cook, to, to confident cook to be able to do that, to separate yourself from, from recipes or, or, or know that when you walk into the store and you see some great asparagus, you have an idea of what you can do with them. So I understand why people cling to recipes, but I am definitely that kind of square one shopper. I am happiest when there's nothing in my fridge because then I know yeah. that I can you know, I can go to the store and that's what we're getting, whatever's best is what we're going to have for dinner that night. Definitely go explore the work that Janet's done, you know, check it out. You've done so many different things, but we're going to go have lunch now, right? I'm hungry. I am, I am excited. Well, thank you very much for being on. I really, pleasure, really David. appreciate it. And I'm going to drop you a note after I've cooked a couple of recipes. Oh, Janet, thank you very much. Janet Fletcher, Wine Country Table. When will the book be available for people to buy? It should be filtering into bookstores now or very uh, in the very near future. And then your website is? And then the book is also available on my website. I ship for free, and it's uh, JanetFletcher.com. Awesome. Thanks, Janet. Alrighty, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. We are going to be back next week with the chef who is fixing the lunch that we're headed off to enjoy right now. Well, this episode of Grape Encounters is in the bag. It's hard to imagine you haven't missed some episodes, so why not hunt them down at GrapeEncounters.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast sites. Grape Encounters Studios are located in beautiful Atascadero, California. That's Central Coast wine country, baby. Come visit us. But be warned, you won't want to leave. That's okay. We have a spare bedroom. But it's 55 degrees and full of old bottles. Music